I remember uh, when I was in college, and uh, on n- numerous occasions, it'd be late at night, and we'd be sitting around studying, and then someone would go, man, I am hungry. I need a burger or something. And then almost in unison, a few of us would go, White Castle. <laughs> then we'd all pile in my car, and uh, we, we would head to get what we craved. See, we were way ahead of our time. So, But um, a couple of things that you need to know about that. One, I was going to school in Lincoln, Illinois, and the closest White Castle was 130 miles away. <laughs> We would go on a five-hour road trip for burgers. Now, there were quicker ways and easier ways to get burgers. We passed a lot of burger joints on our way, definitely healthier burgers. And we burned a full tank of gas, and usually we were gone all night long. Next morning, we would roll in just in time for class. Usually had a few burgers still in hand. I think we were making a statement to everybody. I mean, it's the stuff movies are made of. And in fact, actually, years later, they stole our premise, and they did Harold and Kumar go to White Castle. No, I'm not recommending the movie, by the way. So They could have made the movie about us. But there's nothing terribly interesting about a carload of pastors and a five-hour road trip heading to White Castle for uh, burgers and shakes. I mean, honestly, that's about as close as you get to pastors gone wild, okay? (laughs) It was a road trip, and we did it numerous times through the years. I mean, why? Well... I've thought about that because it really wasn't about the White Castles, I don't think. It was about who was going on the trip with us. It was about being together, stuck in a car for better, sometimes worse. A few moments, a few memories. We were together connecting with one another. I mean, that, that was 32 years ago. And I still, if I close my eyes, I can remember... And I'm still close to several of the guys that went on that trip. We're in this series, life.com, life.community. If you weren't here last week, I'd really encourage you to go online, kind of get caught up. But last week, we looked at some of the challenges of living in a dot-com world and some of the challenges it presents to living in community. Today, what I want to do is look at the importance of Christian community. Now, Jesus, before he started a three-year road trip that ultimately took him to the cross, he put together a small band of brothers that he was going to take on the road with him. And he formed a little community of people that he was going to do life with, ordinary guys like Peter and James and John. And he approached them one at a time, and sometimes they were in a group, but he'd go, hey, I'm going on a road trip. It's a trip that will change your life. Don't know if you're interested or not, but if you are, leave what you're doing. Put down your nets, come follow me. And here's what I think we miss in that invite sometimes. Jesus was perfectly capable 
of taking that road trip by himself. He did not need anybody to help him be a better teacher, to keep him out of trouble. He didn't need any help healing people. But community was Jesus' plan to change the world. When, When Jesus ascended into heaven after the resurrection, he didn't leave behind a bunch of financial resources for a movement. He didn't have some big infrastructure, you know, big plan, big budget, no buildings, there was no clout, no connections really. Jesus didn't leave behind the things that you normally think about that are, that are crucial to an organization or a movement. What he left behind was his little small community. That was it. Twelve ordinary, normal guys, a circle of friends, and a circle of their friends. And more than 2,000 years later, here we sit. Because of what happened to them and through them. Community, I think, is something that Jesus takes really serious. And if, you, if you've read the New Testament and studied, see if you can answer this. How often did Jesus approach someone in Scripture and say, hey, I want you to follow me and put together a little group, a little band of disciples, and I'd like you to be one of them. Now, I know you're busy, and I know that uh, you really don't have time to be in a small group like this, but, you know, well, and besides, I mean... Some of the disciples that are on board right now, well, they, they can be a pain sometimes. I mean, Peter, he talks too much. Seriously, he just, he just goes on and on and on. And Thomas, Thomas, well, he can get really negative. And, and Judas, well, don't even get me started on him, you know. They're not normal like you and me. Tell you what, you can skip community. Just, just make sure that you, you read the text. Be at all my lectures. And you can do the discipleship thing kind of on a self-study course. How often did Jesus make that kind of an invite to someone? Jesus never did. At the beginning of Jesus' ministry, throughout the entire ministry, he, he modeled, he taught about life in this new kind of community. In fact, the night before he was arrested, and he knew he was heading to the cross, he prayed a prayer that I think oftentimes gets overlooked. It says in John 17, verse 20 and 21, it says, I pray not only for them, but also for those who believe in me because of their message. I pray that they may all be one. Father, may they be in us, just as you are in me, and I am in you. May they be one. So the world will know, will believe what they, that you sent me. Jesus prayed for oneness. He said that the credibility of his ministry was going to rest on that oneness. I mean, Jesus prayed for the oneness of his community, that group of disciples. He prayed for the oneness of communities of faith in the future. That he included us in this prayer. Jesus prayed for the oneness of all those communities that they would be one with him, with his Father. He prayed for oneness. And he said it would stand as testimony. It would make it possible to go into all the world and make disciples. See, part of the vision 
is that everyone that worships in this place would be a part of a little Christian community. I mean, why does that matter so much? Well, see, I think Jesus understood the dynamics that that exist in community, that, that people only grow when they're in community, when they're in community with God, when they're in community with Jesus, when they're in community with other believers, you know, studying, growing, serving, making disciples. Community is vital. It's vital to you. It's vital to me. It's vital to our spiritual growth. And so I just want to look at what community looks like. I mean, community, Christian community, it's a place where Jesus is present. You know, Jesus is always present. Whenever, wherever Christians gather. You know, Jesus said in uh, Mark 18 and 20, he says, for where two or three come together in my name, I am there with them. I'm there with them. I like to grill out. Uh, a lot of times, uh, my neighbor he he grills out all the time too. And I'll I'll take and push my my grill out of my garage and turn on the propane. And five minutes, man, I am going. My neighbor, he's a grill master. Real deal, real deal. And a while back, uh, he he was uh, grilling, and I, I was grilling, and uh, I uh, didn't see him for quite a while. And so I'm grilling my hamburgers, and he pretty soon he comes out. He's carrying a plate. He's got a couple fillets on it. So okay, he's got a better grill, and he eats better than me. So um, we figured that out. He gets about halfway to his grill, and I hear a sigh. He goes, "The coals went out." I'm like, that's why I got propane. <laughs> Apparently the, the pile of coals had kind of fallen apart. They'd cooled off. See, the coals need each other. Together, that, that fire will, will kind of grow. It'll get real hot. But when you separate them, they can cool off really, really fast. Now, I, as a good neighbor, as a Christian... I offered to trade him cooked hamburgers for fillets. I was willing to sacrifice. Yeah. Friends, we're like those coals. Together, we grow. Together, we're able to burn really hot. Apart, even though we've been ignited... Apart from the community, what what happens is we lose the flame. We can't function the way God created us to function. Community is part of the design. Community is where you keep that flame of faith hot. And it's vital to the Christian life. It's what the writers of Hebrew was talking about. In Hebrews 10, 24, he says, Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works, and let us not neglecting our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. You see, we need each other. There, there is a kind of a fire that exists when you're in community, when you're in community with God, when you're in community with Jesus Christ, when you're in community with other Christians. I mean, I've experienced it, and many of you have too. 
you know, community where, where you find that encouragement, that guidance, that, that hope, that strength in, in life. You know, community is where God speaks through you to me, through me to you. I mean, that's the way it works. That's why when people want to kind of move away from God, the first thing they usually do, they tend to isolate themselves from community. And when that happens, the ember, the, the flame that's there, they, what happens, that fire at some point just goes out. Second thing about community is it prevents spiritual drift. The Proverbs say, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. I was talking to a uh, pastor friend of mine. Uh, we talk almost every week. And I was talking about being a little bit overloaded and, and just frustrated with some stuff. And I said, you know, I need, I need to rearrange some stuff in my life. And so the next week I'm talking to him. He goes, hey, how's that uh, overload thing going? I go, man, I need to arrange some stuff in my life, rearrange it. And he asked me the same question for several weeks, and I gave him the same answer for several weeks. And there, there was this point when I, when I hung up the phone that I realized that I either needed to take some action or I needed to get a new friend. Because he was going to keep asking me the same question. And it is a little bit embarrassing to admit, but I need him to keep asking the question. So what happened? Well, because he kept asking the question, I started looking at things again. You know, all the priorities, all the things that that I do. And I started this process, I'm in process, by the way, of just trying to get a few things out. Let someone else do it. And honestly, they'll probably do it a lot better than I'm doing it. See, without community, we can drift. We can burn out. We can cool off. In community, we get encouraged. We get challenged. We get strengthened. You get sharpened. You get pressed sometimes. That's why community is so important. There is a myth out there in our society today that that people buy into that as a Christian, you can get on some self-study program, operate like a a spiritual free agent, so to speak. And the fact is, that's not true. Spiritual growth requires community. Jesus called people into community. He said, let's do life together. Let's pray together. Let's learn together. Let's grow together. Let's serve together in mission together. Apart from community, we all tend to drift. I think community is also uh, a safe place to be able to take off the masks, you know, stop hiding, to know that healing power of being loved and known. You know, we talked about this a little bit last week, didn't we? You know, in Genesis uh, initially... Adam and Eve, they're in the garden. And Scripture says they were naked and not ashamed. All right? Now, that wasn't like a fashion statement they were making. All right? But they were talking about being known. The the idea behind it was there were no secrets. They were fully known. 
They were exposed, but they were loved. And then they sinned. The scripture says at that point there was shame. And they started hiding. In fact, they actually physically went and hid. You know, God, God was walking through the garden and he's calling out, where are you at? Where are you at? Adam, Eve, where are you? Now, God knew where they were, but I love Adam. He goes, I heard the sound of you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. A little hide and seek going on. How many of you have ever played hide and seek? Yeah, I, my grandkids, uh, I love playing hide and seek with them. You know, they're, they're kind of funny, and I'll be honest, there are times I absolutely, I don't get it when, when they hide. And I think I've shared before, Dason, uh, a couple years ago, he's hiding, he's laying on the, the bed. We've got this big Curious George that's like this. And I look, and he's laid right next to it. <laughs> Just like that. Yeah. Uh, the other day we were playing Anaya. She's uh, four, and uh, she's over in the corner. And I walk by her, and, and she goes, Shh, Grandpa. Grandpa, I'm a statue. I was like, oh, good, I don't see you then. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're, they're hysterical. I mean, they, they'll, they'll be hiding in the room, and, or I'll be hiding, and all four of them will come into the room, and they'll, they'll be right at the door, and they're like, Jason, go, go on in, go on in. He's going to scare us. I know he's going to scare us. And so finally they'll walk into the room, they're like, I, I don't think he can hear us, do you? Do you think he can see us? No, he can't. We're okay. And I, sometimes I can see them. They're, they're within touching distance, and I'll, I'll just reach out and grab them, scream, you know. They all go running off. And you know, I remember one time we got done playing hide-and-seek, and Isabella, she came over. She goes, Grandpa, you're a really good hider. And Ethan goes, I think he's hidden before. <laughs> Most of us have grown up in a culture. And if the truth were known, most of us are really good hiders. In fact, my observation is that people in the church sometimes are the best hiders. I have watched people come to church throughout my entire ministry. They come to church, sit in the same spot, Sit in the same spot. Sit in the same spot. Okay. Smile at the same people. Talk about the same stuff. Over and over and over. Keep everything very superficial. Week after week. Month after month. Year after year. And maybe inside they're hurting. Nobody knows. Maybe... They're battling with something in their life. Nobody knows. Dreams have been shattered. Nobody knows. Struggling with their kids. Nobody knows. Struggling in their marriage. Struggling in their job. Nobody knows. And friends, I want to tell you, that's not God's design for God's community. In life, there are burns and crashes. You know, marriages end, parents struggle, people lose their job, finances take a turn, health fails, people lose loved ones. In life, things happen. And what just bothers me to no end is when 
that happens in someone's life and people around them are going, hey, what happened to so-and-so? And no one knows. And you know why nobody knows? Usually, not always, but usually because they kept themselves hidden. I get hiding. I get it. I've done it before, especially early in my life. You know, it'll probably always be something that I struggle with to some degree. You know why? Because I prefer to look stronger. I prefer to look better, smarter than I really am. You know, James writes in James 5.16, says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. See, community is a place where the masks come down, where you finally get real with each other. Remember about 15 years ago, I decided uh, to get just honest with a few guys that we were trying to build community at that time. And these guys knew me pretty well. We'd known each other for several years. But um, I decided that uh, they needed to know all, all of me. Now, one of the guys in that group I had been friends with for 15 years. He was one of the White Castle guys that went on those runs with me. We've been friends for almost 30 years now. Anyway, I remember thinking, okay, it's time to put some stuff out there. And so I started talking about some of the stuff in my life that's just embarrassing. Talked about that that dark side that you struggle with, stuff, tendencies and and what have you. Don't get excited. I'm not going to dump it out here, okay? But I kind of poured them out one by one by one. And at the end of it, I could hardly look up at these guys. And I remember one of the guys very, very clearly goes, wow, man, we've got more in common now. He goes, I love you. And I'll, I'll be honest, just hearing those words, you know, I, I like wanted to make more stuff up. I thought, if they love me, they'll really love me. You know, it's like... Here's the deal. When you know stuff about someone, as you begin to share over time, and they still love you, that's powerful. I said last week that the, the fact is about love, you can only be loved, truly loved, to the extent that you are known. You know, as long as you kind of hold out and wear a mask in your life, you will always wonder if that person loves you. Because inside, you're going, if they knew the truth, they wouldn't love me. Jesus wanted to build a community where no masks exist. You know, Acts 2, 46 says, every day they continued to meet together. It's talking about the, the first Christians. They met in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts. And that word sincere, it contains the idea of meeting together and taking the mask off. Getting real with one another. Sincere. A new kind of community. 
I mean, it takes a while to build that kind of community. It takes time. It doesn't just happen. Over time, what happens is our level of honesty and openness, it grows, it picks up. But it only happens when you make a commitment to be in community with some other people. You know, in community, I think it's a place where we get the opportunity to, to love. You know, Jesus was with his small group. He knew he was heading to the cross the next day. And he gives them a command, and he, and he says it over and over to them. John fifteen twelve, he says, My command is this, what? Love one another just as I love you. If you read that whole chapter, I'd encourage you to read it this week. Jesus says, love one another. Love one another. Love one another. And he's picking up on a theme that a few weeks prior, he had said in John 13, 35, he says, if you have love for one another, then everyone will know that you are my disciples. See, whole credibility of his mission, it rests in this, that they love one another. Not, not that they're smarter, not that they build something really big and enormous, but if they love one another. And I find it interesting, Jesus has been with these guys for three years. I mean, basically, 24-7, they were together. And he feels the need to command them. He says, love one another, love one another, love one another. And I think, why? Well, because they hadn't mastered it. They struggled with love. It's kind of important, I think, to note because community takes work. Community is not easy. Community is not perfect. It is not problem-free. And there's something that strikes me about that, that small community that Jesus put together. I mean, these guys were, were not alike, and they were not naturally compatible with one another. If you read uh, Mark 3, he lists all the disciples, the, all those that were in that group with Jesus. One of them was Simon the Zealot. You know, he was part of an extremist political party in that day. He was committed to overthrowing Rome and the Roman government by any means possible. Violence, if necessary. I mean, zealots were freedom fighters or terrorists, according to what your political view was in that day. They hated Romans. The only people they hated more were people that collaborated with Romans, like Jewish tax collectors. Jesus is forming a small group. He goes to Simon the Zealot. He says, you're a zealot, aren't you? I know what you're about, but I'd like you to join my group. And he did. And then one day, he's walking through the street, and he sees Matthew. Matthew's a tax collector. He says, hey, I'd like you to join my group, and why don't you and Simon be roommates when we travel? I want you to think about what the discussion these two guys would have had with each other. I mean, we have kind of romanticized and definitely sanitized the lives of the disciples. You know, Jesus calls Peter and Andrew, and we're told that they were casting their nets off the shore. 
which probably meant that they were too poor to own a boat. Then he calls James and John. They have a boat. In fact, their family owned a bunch of boats, and they hired people to work for them. His family, they owned a fleet probably, commercial fishermen in that day. Two very different social economic groups coming together. And friends, I can tell you when those two groups come together, invariably there are issues of envy and jealousy. There's friction. Jesus modeled. He taught about servanthood. Dying to yourself. James and John, they go to their mom. Say, hey mom, we need you to ask Jesus if we could sit right next to him in heaven. See, they wanted a position of prominence. And when the other disciples found out, big time friction. And my point is, community is not easy. Community takes work. I believe that's why community is vanishing in our society today. People easily dismiss one another, put up walls. Some people don't even bother connecting anymore. Community is vanishing. When you look at our cities, our towns, our neighborhoods, it's missing at work, in our schools, and I would argue even in our churches. It takes work, sometimes hard work. Why? Because people aren't perfect. Jesus came to create community. And Jesus' community grew. I mean, they grew in their mutual faith in the power and the message of Jesus Christ. They grew in their sense of belonging. They grew in their love for Jesus. They grew in their love for God. They grew in their love for one another. And ultimately, they grew in their love for a lost world. And that love shined, and the world noticed. They noticed, and they saw and they wanted. And things just exploded. I would argue that community, that little community, changed the world. I believe we live in a, a love-starved world. And I wonder what, what would happen. What would happen if at Faith Fellowship everybody was in community with a few other Christians? I mean, what would happen if everybody signed up for the life groups that Jeff was talking about earlier? I mean, what would happen if we all decided to drop our masks over time and quit hiding with a few other people? I mean, what would happen? Because we're growing in our faith We're growing in our love. What would happen if we started not only loving God, loving Jesus Christ? I mean, what would happen if we started loving each other to the extent that we shined in this world? What would happen if we started loving people beyond these walls? And friends... People have been praying 
through the summer about our, our life groups. People have been working, planning, organizing, training. And people have agreed to open up their homes. Why? I think to create a place where you can come together with a few other Christians. A place where you can be loved, encouraged, challenged. A place where you can grow. A place where you can do life together with a few other people. A place where you can belong. Community. See, community can happen. It can happen in life groups. Community can change your life. Community can change the world. Community has got that kind of power in it. It's got that kind of power. Let's bow in a word of prayer together. Our holy God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would just press us. And I know there are some that are in community with Christian believers and make that a part of their life and yet I know many of us that community just doesn't exist God I pray your Holy Spirit would just press us the importance it's where we grow God I pray that um, as a church that we would be about building community being there for one another, encouraging and loving and standing side by side, holding people up when necessary, allowing others to hold us up when needed. God, I pray that um, when the world looks at this church, they go, you know, I don't understand them, but one thing I know, they love. They love you. And they love each other. God, I pray that we'd be a beacon in this world. And we'd make a difference in this world. What we say, what we do, most important, how we love. It's in Christ's holy name we pray. Amen. Today is a uh, special day in our community. Um, Several people are taking a step of faith. They're going to be baptized uh, today. They're taking that, that step uh, as Christ has called us to uh, not just confess Him as Lord and Savior, but to take that step of, of baptism. And so I would ask those that are being baptized today, if you would just stand up. I want to pray for you. Um, you just stand up where you're at. And um, I pray this is a day you always remember. Um, and uh, to us as a congregation that um, we would uh, just lift these people up and love them and encourage them and be, be community together. So let's bow in a word of prayer. Our holy God, we uh, praise you today. We thank you for this day. Lord, I know you're smiling. I know the angels in heaven celebrate and I know you knew about this day before we knew it. And God, I just pray that um, this act of obedience, that uh, it would stand as testimony to all of us gathered of that commitment we, many of us, made years ago. Some just made recently. 
that, that we'd remember that day. God, I pray that uh, your Holy Spirit would just continue to work through these individuals. We thank you for their life. We thank you for their dedication. We thank you for their commitment. It's in Christ's holy name we pray. Amen.